This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi fans, to another episode of the Science Fictionary Podcast. I'm Andrew, and with me tonight, I have Daniel. Hey. And a special guest joining us to talk Wheel of Time is Rob from, oh gosh, I almost said the wrong podcast. podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. I don't know how special I am, but uh, happy to be on with you guys talking a little Wheel of Time. Yeah, no, glad to have you. It's always great to have you on. One day we'll have to get you on. When things start heating up, we, we've get, we're getting all these crazy rumors about a Firefly continuation. Oh, yeah. We'll oh, have yeah. to get you on and talk about that a little bit. But tonight we want to talk Wheel of Time. This will be our second time uh, talking Wheel of Time. So I won't be talking quite as much tonight because I also want to hear what these two guys have to say about this series. But I will uh, chime in from time to time, and I have some thoughts and some some questions I want to ask before we wrap up tonight. So, uh, Daniel, I'll kind of let you take over the the conversation here as to where to start talking about okay. this series. Well, so we talked about it the first time. I guess we were three or four episodes in. Yeah, it seems um, about right. Yeah, and we haven't talked at all since it finished. So, I was actually gonna let. Rob Stark, because I'm interested in now that season one is done, what you thought of it, how well it was adapted, or just the enjoyment of the series itself. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to start off. Um, I will say that. Uh, let me turn my volume down here a little bit. No, I I will say that um, it was interesting because I watched it with my wife, who had never read knew nothing about Wheel of Time. I, I kind of gave her a similar intro that I gave Marisha when we had the last podcast, since she didn't really have a lot of background information and she had some questions. Uh, so for me, um, I thought the first two episodes, uh, you know, they definitely made some some significant changes from what we had seen in the books, uh, but more or less it followed the storyline, uh, at least as far as the journey that they took leaving the two rivers. Um, and it's, and it's kind of interesting because it got to that third episode and started to, uh, go off the tracks a little bit. And, uh, I think that is right around the time that we talked about this last time. And I wanted to kind of give it a chance to see if maybe it was just a slight diversion or if they were kind of, kind of go gallivanting off into the weeds. And sadly, uh, what I experienced with this show, uh, in season one, was the fact that it it totally went off the rails. Um, Rafe Judkins, the showrunner, made some fairly disturbing comments that that I had seen kind of early on in the show. He he sadly was getting uh, hate mail um, from fans even before the show pre, uh, pre uh, premiered, and his reaction to that hate mail, which I completely disagree with. I, I don't think anyone should be getting uh, hate mail uh, for any kind of entertainment that they're putting out there, but. Uh, and it was, you know, some specific attacks against him. Um, but his reaction to that was like, you know, you make a death threat against me, boom, your favorite character is gay. Uh, you know, you make another threat against me, boom, this character is woke. So, uh, you know, it's disturbing that, uh, that that behavior was going on on the part of the fans. It's also disturbing to me that a showrunner who's kind of tasked with bringing a beloved series like this to the screen um, is willing to hurt all the fans uh, because of the behavior of a small group of people. So um, what I, what I tended to notice throughout most of season one was that uh, the focus was more on, on some woke storylines, focusing on things that were briefly alluded to in the book, like Maureen and Swan Sanche, who is the Emerald seat uh, being pillow friends, which could mean anything from, uh, you know, consoling each other as, as young girls in power. Yeah. I was going to talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because Robert Jordan did make comments about Moraine and and uh, and, and and Swan Sanjan. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. 
And I do believe, and I mean, he, he basically flat out said it, he did mean for them to have had that type of relationship. And by the time our main story starts, that relationship is apparently over because it's never mentioned in the in the the main course of the books. It's mentioned in a prequel novel. Um, and of course, Robert, like I said, made comments basically confirming it that that was his intention mm-hmm. um, was for them to have had that type of relationship. So I didn't have a I didn't necessarily have a problem with them having that relationship. But again, in the story we're telling. It wasn't part of the story at this point where we're telling it. Right. So it, it does feel like it was thrown in there just to throw in there. But as far as it, you know, being faithful to the author's intention, I can't say that it wasn't. Um, it, it, it just it wasn't part of the story at this point in the story. So it does feel like they did it just to get it in there. Yeah. Um, but again, I can't really say I really have a problem with it. It it does just to pick up on things you were saying, um, it does start to go a different direction from the books. We still get to basically the same place at the end of the series that we got to at the end of book one. We just sort of take a different way to get there. Some of the same some of the same main events still happen. Mm-hmm. They just don't happen in the same place or in the same locations. Um, and that's part of adapting any uh, any form of writing. That's 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 part of, of what goes in the process of adapting it. Now, there are ways to do it much more faithfully. There are much more faithful adaptations of other works. Lord of the Rings, obviously, Harry Potter. Um, this one is a little less faithful to the letter of the law that's spelled out in the books uh we never see tarvalin in the first book correct at all all of the political intrigue stuff that goes into being isodized never even alluded to until the second book mm-hmm. um and we don't get deep into it to the third and fourth right uh and even more so in the in the fifth so but I feel like they just wanted to go ahead and jump ahead and get into that. Like they wanted that to be a bigger part of the show than it was at the books in this point. Let's go ahead and establish that so we can move forward with it later. Um, so when I really think about it, I can understand some decisions they made, but I don't think they were all necessary. Because yeah. I, I, I said, I, last time we talked about this show, like we said, three or four episodes in, I'd already mentioned the fact that I think I would have enjoyed this show a lot more if I'd never read the books. Because no. on the surface, it is a it is a quality fantasy TV show. It's an, it's enjoyable. Where you get hung up is, why'd you do that? That's not how that happened. Why we hadn't introduced this character yet? What happened to that one? Why are we doing this? Because you're comparing it to the book all the time. <clears throat> And yeah. being less faithful to the books than we than you and I would hope it would be, you know, detracts from it. Yeah, and like I said, I mean the 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 interesting thing uh, watching this beside my wife, who, as I said, had no background in in reading the books, she was entertained. She enjoyed the show. She did feel like there was, uh, you know, some storylines in there that were definitely trying to hit on, uh, you know, non traditional relationships and things along those lines, but. Uh, it wasn't enough to to really distract her. It bothered me a whole lot more, and and it wasn't even so much the relationship aspects of it. Uh, I know that with uh, Randon uh, Egwene, that their relationship kind of uh, being more of a physical relationship than it was in the books was just to kind of age them up a little bit and make them more mature characters, relatable, right? And uh, even the relationship between uh naive and land that, that they get to much quicker in the show than they do in the books wasn't an issue for me what what was an issue for me was that so much time was spent on those relationships um those three main relationships in a series that was only eight hours really total it was you know eight hour long episodes that they had to tell this pretty complex tale and they would spend so much time on these relationships that they then had to rush to kind of make sure the story got to where it needed to go by the end of season one. 
uh, and it detracted from their ability to tell as good a story, I thought. Um, and, and like I like I said, I got to the point by the end of episode six where I was pretty much ready to just quit watching because I was so frustrated with the direction they were taking. Uh, but I decided to stick it out. I wanted to give it uh, at least a full season of a fair chance to to see where they went with it. And uh, right now, some of the things they've cut out of the of the story bother me so much. I I'm not sure I can watch season two. Mm-hmm. I don't like how they're dealing with the Forsaken. And, uh, and well. I don't feel like we've really gotten to the. I, I I still want to see where that goes. There's a lot more to the Forsaken to come. There's a lot more time to tell what's going on with them. Um. And, <sighs> I will tell you that there there were um, there was another series of disturbing comments from Rafe Judkins at the end of season one, uh, where he was basically mocking the fan base who were upset about the direction they'd taken with the show. Uh, and it had been known at that point that he had some fairly major disagreements with Brandon Sanderson, who uh, Robert Jordan's widow had brought in to finish the remaining novels after he had died. Another one of my favorite authors right now, yeah. too. Yeah. So, um, you know, Rafe Judkins decided to go the direction he wanted to go, despite Brandon Sanderson's, uh, you know, feedback on why he didn't think those things should occur. And then uh, his reaction to fans being upset was, uh, I'm really looking forward to killing off some favorite characters in some unusual ways. So again, it's like he's taking this beloved series and toying with the fans in a very petty way. And I just hate that. I'm like, you know, tell a good story. Oh, yeah. and I don't expect it to be exactly like the books. I really don't. I'm I'm fine with uh, some things changing, but there were some major departures uh even in season one, especially with it concluding with, with Moraine getting stilled. Uh, yes. That, no uh, and I hated the way they displayed the blight. Uh, I don't know. I don't guess I ever really had like a firm image in my head of, <coughs> of what the blight looked at, looked like anyway. But, uh, yeah. Moraine being cut off from the source just totally, I'd have no clue why they did that or where they think they're going with that. Right. That absolutely makes zero sense to me. It's much farther in the series before we ever have to deal with an Aesodai Asa, being stealed. Um, <coughs> and, and the way it's done in the book and the characters it's done to in the books actually make sense and propel the story forward. I see no point to to Moraine's stealing stealing at the end of this season. Yeah. I, I I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of the way we got there in the last episode at all. The 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 way the climactic battle of Eye of the World is depicted in this show just disappointed me totally. Yeah. None of the characters are in the right place doing anything close to the right thing that they should have been doing. Uh, you've got Rand going off on his own, which I don't know where you're going with that either, because I know where the next story starts mm -hmm. and you can't start there now. Right. And it's just, I don't understand, uh, a couple of the character deaths we had in the in that episode, I we we have a, we establish pretty early in the series that you can't heal death, and we see a depiction of that. Like I don't. So that was like I said. I, for the most part, I enjoyed the series, and I'm gonna watch season two. I am, but I really do have a lot of questions about where we're going with some of the stuff and why. And it, 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 even with Nynaeve, a major part of Nynaeve's character development is that she can't touch the source unless she's angry. Right. And we see her doing these things in the last episode, and then all of a sudden it, it, healing is supposed to be the most complex form of 
uh, weaving that you can do. Mm-hmm. And Egwene just brings the dead back. Or you, I don't, I, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Like we're totally changing the rules of how the power works. Yeah. You know, from the from the very beginning of the show, and we talked about this already, where the dragon could have been a man or a woman. No, that's not. That's that's not how. Which that was a minor enough thing. To, minor en- enough thing to me that it didn't really bother me. Like I could see how they could just kind of skim over that and go on. It wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Um, but so, some of the stuff in the last episode just bothers me. And Matt, and I understand the real world reason right? why they had to end Matt where they ended him because God bless Marty, Marty Harris. We don't know what he's going through or what happened there. Uh, those were all the scenes he had filmed at the time he had to leave. Yeah. He had filmed nothing for the final episode. Yeah. So they did what they had to do, but it does sort of change that character a little bit because yeah, on the surface, Matt kind of shirks responsibility and, but Matt does everything with blood and bloody ashes. Right. Right. Like he grumbles about it the whole time. But where his friends need him to go or where he feels like he needs to go to accomplish what he needs to accomplish, he's going to go ahead. He's going to do it. He's going to gripe and grumble and bitch and moan and kick and scream yep. the whole way. But you can, in the, at the end of the day, you can always count on Matt. And now all of a sudden you can't. Yeah. I will. So, like, one, of the, one of the things that, that – um, to give an example of what I talk about when I say they focus so much on the relationships that they then have to rush really integral parts of the story. And uh, specifically when they go through the ways to travel to Faldara, mm-hmm. uh, that, that thing, it, they made it look like they went from the entrance to a landing, took a break yep. and then went across another bridge and left. Uh, and they were supposed to be in there for days. And, you know, it's kind of an integral part of yeah, uh, yeah, of what happens to that group, and and it just was totally rushed. Uh, now I will say this: that uh, as uh, as frustrated I was as I was at the end of episode six, and it wasn't just the relationship between Swan and Moraine. Uh, it really bothered me that they uh, dropped traveling mm-hmm. on the show at that point, and I get she's doing it through a Turangriel, through a you know a, a specific device that has a single use and the one power, but. The idea of traveling doesn't really come into play until much later in the books either. And it's a pretty major revelation because at that point, you know, it it opens up uh, their ability to move quickly long distances. Uh, So, you know, I was a little disappointed that that they ended up using it for a booty call. Uh, But then as frustrated as I was at the end of episode six, uh, let you go ahead and and say what you got to say first. Because I want to get to episode seven. Because you mentioned traveling. And the importance of that really comes in because you mentioned the Forsaken earlier, too. Yeah. The first group of people we see able to do that are the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. And it's used as one of the ways to establish how much more powerful they are than the modern day, than the current day Aes Sedai. Yes. Because the whole idea is they were fully trained and developed Aes Sedai before the breaking of the world. That all that knowledge has been lost in the 3,000 years since. And when all our characters look at the current day Aes Sedai with all this awe and wonder, they don't realize, no, those people don't know shit. Yeah, like, they're, they're just babies children. compared to the full potential of the, what the power can do. Right. So, yeah, whenever you make something like traveling, and like you said, it is done through an angry all. So I guess that'll play into it. Like, maybe the first time we see a Forsaken... I hope we still have that moment where we get to see a Forsaken do something that we know no living Aes Sedai can do. Right. And somebody will go, oh, shit. We still need that, and I hope we get it. And I'm sure we will in some way. But that's that's one of the things where you sit there and wonder why they, it, you know, reveal this stuff to us slowly. We can get more wondrous as we go. Yeah. We don't need everything now, now, now. Um. And, and man, I really sound like I don't like this show, and I swear to God, I did. 
<laughs> I really did enjoy it. You liked it more than I did, it sounds like. But. Well, I, well and, and I think I did. And I, you know, I always say people like what they like. We can all have different opinions. But, you know, I have some of the same issues. I guess I just don't get as worked up over them as some people do. But it doesn't mean I'm not concerned about them. And it does make me wonder where the story is going. Like, I can't see... I can't really see us following the great hunt very closely. No. There's no way. From where we're going to start season two, there's no way to follow book two story properly and yeah. start where we have to start from. Yeah, I mean, and it goes it goes to your point. When we get, as you, as you mentioned earlier, when we get to the end of episode eight, they're, they're all supposed to be in the blight. Uh, yeah. They're supposed to end up coming face to face with two of the Forsaken that have just broken free, uh, and and have not really had a chance to fully uh, kind of come back to their to their full power or their natural state. Uh, and Rand defeats two individual Forsaken, and then fights a third. Uh, yes. And so you know, that, that's a pretty major confrontation. And I was, I was really interested to see how that was going to play out at the end of that episode. And what we get instead is essentially the blight has been turned into the briar patch and, uh, and it's a, a, com- a conversation more than a battle. Uh, and it ends up with Moraine getting stilled. And I just was like, it's completely that, different. It was such an, uh, an amazing climax to that book. And, it's completely gone. Now I will say uh, episode seven, when, when they do get to Faldara and that's really the episode where they meet men, who's a integral character in the, in the book. Uh, and I understand why they had to move her a little bit later in the season. Uh, Cause they didn't want to deal with Barlin and, uh, and that whole, uh, you know, right. situation with it's him. A but, stop. Well, yeah, it's right. Uh, so I didn't have an issue with, with they, them moving her to later in the season. Uh, and I thought it was a really well done episode. They, they built some tension around who was the person who was going to be revealed as the dragon. And there was some really great interplay of various characters. I even enjoyed Nynaeve and, and Lan kind of, uh, you know, kind of accepting their relationship and, and having that uh, come to fruition. And then I wasn't totally thrilled when Ran and Maureen went off on their own. Uh, to to kind of face whatever that final confrontation was going to be in the next episode, but I felt like at that point it was the best episode of the entire season, uh, and then episode eight just just turned out to be a complete letdown from from there for me. Right, and and, and my favorite episode of the season was actually episode three, which is the one who, that diverges from the book The Fathers, but that was kick ass to watch. Like I, you know, I I enjoyed that. Um, but we're talking about the last episode so much. I will say I, I did enjoy the little teaser, the Sean champ. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is obvious they will play a major role in the next season. Um, which I mean, they are the main antagonist of the second book. Um, I just, I just wonder how we're going to get there. Yeah. We're not going to get there the same way we, we, we did in the book, but We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I know they have it projected for eight seasons, and you know, eight seasons to compress fourteen books uh, into eight seasons. When it took you the first season to just cover the first book, and it was done with wholesale things being cut out of it. I just, I think when you're a, when you're addressing a show that requires that much cutting and kind of cobbling things back together you have to be really careful what you dwell upon for very long and that's why i think they need to get away from some of these uh, you know spending half an episode on on building up tension for you know a relationship uh just to have one love scene and focused on the broader story and one of the things that jordan did an amazing job of is he built an incredibly diverse world uh there are people of all uh, you know, skin colors and religions and creeds. And, you know, certainly, as we mentioned before, there's that whole concept of pillow friends. We know that the Aes Sedai, uh, some of them have relationships with their orders. Some of them have relationships with multiple orders at the same time. And, and they dipped a little bit into that. 
uh, yep. with the season. And we haven't gotten into the IEL with all that, the way they handled their relationships either yet. Right. So. Right. Exactly. And that's going to be a huge piece of the pie to, to cut out, too. Um, they're going to have to figure out how much how much they trim out of that whole story uh, when when and if they end up in the waste. So uh, it's, you know, they've got a huge task in front of them. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. And I knew there were going to be some departures from the books. Um, it just, it, what really gets to me is when I feel like the showrunner is making comments that, that he is using his power, uh, in cobbling this story together and telling this story, uh, to deal with the, probably a small population of people who are really, uh, not behaving like grown adults. And some of them probably aren't, uh, you know, that stuff should just, you know, roll off your shoulders, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And, and you still have to have some respect for the source material. And I hope that hope he is able to find his way back to that. Yeah. Now that's yeah. actually, I want to chime in for just a second, because that's, that's actually like, that's a real concerning thing. Like, you know, to have a, a director that's intentionally altering things just to make people mad. Right. Um, and I, you know, that's, um, and, and I understand, like, you know, that the people that are probably coming at him, sending him God knows what, yeah. are, I mean, that's not right either. Like, that shouldn't be happening. But, like, at this point in time, if you're making a movie or a TV show, you've just got to be able to turn that stuff off. Right. Yeah. And, and I was going to say, it, I, I honestly think he's doing the best he can. We are talking about, as, as you just pointed out, Rob, they, they're, they're trying to get it. If they get all eight seasons, they want to try to fit it into no more than eight seasons, which, like we said, you don't see Trevor in the first book at all. So it, there, there are reasons why they're pulling some of this stuff forward. Mm-hmm. They got to get it in. And basically half the time you would take to do it otherwise. And I, I think and I hope, is just lashing out out of frustration you know what i mean like i I would hope his intentions aren't really to do that just to get because because that's just gonna make matters worse anyway i I really think he's just lashing out i i don't think he would have had time to do something like that in season one whenever he started getting these comments i think this is the season he intended to make whenever he started making it and like i said i hope he's just lashing out Really do. Look, I I, uh, I wear my emotions on my sleeve sometimes, and uh, by the time season two rolls around, I will probably have dealt with my my grief to you know for what is uh, what has happened with the show and its departure from the books. And uh, I'm sure you know my wife uh, has enjoyed watching it, so I'll probably get back to watching it with her and and hopefully find some things to enjoy about it through her. Um, you know, and who knows? They may find their stride. They may figure out a way uh, to tie all these things together, and they may do things in season two that explain why they made some of these decisions in season one. And right now, um, that's what I need. I need to see something that that I'm able to kind of uh, have the dots connect in my mind so that I gain some faith that they do have a bigger plan. Uh, I may, I may just still be scarred from the sequel trilogy from star Wars. <laughs> the fact, the fact that those three films clearly didn't have an overarching plan for how they were going to address the story. Uh, and I, I can't do that again with something I love. <laughs> so with something like this kind of, here's where some of my concerns come in and, and, you know, as I mentioned before we started, you know, being a big Lord of the Rings fan and with that series coming up, granted, it's the same studio, entirely different showrunners, totally different story here. But, um, you know, when you're doing fantasy, the lore is, it's an extra character. Like, you you have to to honor the lore, you have to dig into the lore and and the lore needs to be a substantial part. And I mean, that even goes for, you know, things like, especially the, the star Wars, the original trilogy, it's very much a high fantasy tale. And, you know, when you, when you stray from that, that was one of my problems with the sequel trilogy is that I felt like it strayed from the lore overall in this adaptation how do y'all feel like they did as far as 
honoring the lore itself, because I kind of feel the way I kind of feel about a lot of fantasy is you can move pieces around the board, but the lore is the core of everything. And, and if you're, if you're straying too far, you risk damaging the whole thing. It's kind of a mixed bag so far. Um, for me, as far as honoring the lore and, and look, and it's, it's massive. There's something like, is it, is it twenty four hundred named characters, Rob? Something like that. I thought it was. A, I had seen in one place that it was a hundred thousand, which I have trouble believing oh. it's that many. There's. That's I, I do know that. Um, and and I will say that. Well, you finish what you're saying first, and then I'll give. Well, that. Yeah, just as far as the lore of it goes, and it and it's, it is very deep. I've I had, I've told Andrew forever. Um, that. Because you know we always talk about Tolkien's world building. Robert Jordan's the only next closest thing. It's it, you're you're not you're really not getting the full scope of what the history of this world entails, and it's it's our future, but it's but it's also the past of an age that's going to come around that will be similar to ours again. And, and you get a lot of, huh, because I don't remember how many thousands of years it is in our future, because you went from the time period from the, from the cold war era to the breaking of the world. I don't remember how many thousands of years that is. And then we're 3,000 years since the breaking. Right. So there's literally, if you want to think about, I don't, 10,000 years worth of history, something like that. Yeah, probably. And, and because we have faded into myth, and then the era of the breaking of the world is, you know, legend, like it says, and I'm getting overly complicated about it. But it, it's it's just it's massive, and there's no way really to touch all of it. What you what you need to focus on lore wise is the way the one power works, how the breaking happened, what the taint is, who the forsaken are. You're gonna have to touch on Arthur Hartwing. <laughs> it's, you know we're we're getting. Because you've got to touch on Arthur Hartwing to 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 understand who Deshaun Chen are and to understand the things that are fitting to happen to Matt. Yeah. Uh, if they even use that story. So there's a lot they've got to touch on, and we haven't gotten any of it yet to really see how faithful they're going to be. The only thing so far that that we can go by is the way they illustrate uh, how the one power works in the true source. And so far, uh, I'm wasn't thrilled about the way they held that. They, it, you know, for for the first couple episodes, I thought they were taking the duality out of it, and then I was happy to see that no, they didn't. Okay, good. So that still works the same way. But it, th there's going to be a thing there about the power levels, which all plays into it too, because there are certain things that only men and women can do together, but men can't do certain things without women, but women aren't powerful enough to do it without the man either. And it's all, I'm getting too overly convoluted with all that crap. So I don't think we've got far enough in the story to see how well they're going to honor it. The next two seasons are going to tell a lot because that's when we'll get into them needing to explain certain things. And you've got to touch on the Lord to be able to explain it. So that's when we'll be able to tell better how well they're going to honor that. So am I making any sense, Rob? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, I, I have more knowledge than uh, anyone, someone who hasn't, hasn't read the books, right? Uh, no, it's, it's an incredibly complicated world. It's an incredibly complicated, uh, you know, there's the, the structure of all of these different organizations, the Sanchan, and the and the White Tower, uh, the Aes Sedai specifically, and there are so many nations and so many groups in this particular um, in this particular world that you need to be able to explain. And and that's kind of what I was getting to with my earlier comments. There is enough that you're going to have to deal with 
in order to make the story work. Mm -hmm. You have to be really careful that when you're cutting things out and cobbling things together, that you're not making up too big an expansive story to do that because you don't really have time to tell that and still be able to explain the rest of what's going on uh, and, and keep the story moving quickly. So, uh, my concern is wholesale cuts. I'm sorry, Robin. My, my, my concern would be wholesale cuts. Yeah. Be careful what you have to cut out completely. Yeah. Some of the stuff you got to explain to have what we're seeing make sense. Yes. Yeah. Now, you know, it's interesting. Um, in some places, they have uh, done a good job of, of staying true to the source material. Um, but there has been so much worked in. Uh, to kind of make sure they're checking all the boxes in terms of the, the show diversity. And again, that's something that they shouldn't even have to worry about because it's a diverse, it's a diverse universe or a diverse book series. Uh, there are going to be plenty of roles to cover all the boxes that you need to check without having to force it. So in some, in some places they have, they've stayed loyal to the, to the underlying story materials, but there were so many places where they diverted from it and in some cases pretty wildly that it makes me very nervous to see what happens in season two season two may be the maybe the place where i really get a better feel for you know whether they're just going to go wholesale off the reservation to make it a series that i don't even recognize or whether they at least kind of keep it in the ballpark of what i expect from from uh this particular story. I, I know Andrew's got some stuff he want to ask about, but I, I also really do want to talk about the book, um, if we can do that. Because I've been re doing a reread, and I am on book five, which is one of my least favorite books of the series. Mostly because, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, Pear ended up making an appearance at all, and he's my favorite character. Anyway, I've had issues with that for 20 years. I'll let it go now. But which from coming from book four, which is one of my favorites, again, because it's so parent centric, I guess. But I know you you were rereading them recently, too, weren't you? Yeah, I'm actually uh, about halfway through book 13. I started my reread, re-listen, whatever. I got them all uh, got them all via audiobook, And I do enough driving where I'm able to move through them pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to see is if is if my memory and I've read this series numerous times so like every time a book would come out i'd have to do a reread of everything up to that point because it had been a few years and it's so complicated uh but you know a lot of the things that i i had issues with in season one i'm like all right i have to i have to be fair am i not remembering this correctly and so yeah. i wanted to go back and, and do the reread for that reason uh and also to refresh my memory and I found that, you know, many of the things, yeah, it's exactly what I thought it was. Uh, there's even there's even a, a point where uh, referring to the Moraine-Swan-Sanche uh, relationship, um, I think it's Moraine says something along the lines of, uh, you know, that was for, uh, you know, their youth. And it was time to, to move on from that, essentially. They had to move on. That's actually in the fifth book. Yeah, uh, I just uh, passed up that scene yesterday. Uh, whenever Egwene tells her, "I know y'all were close friends," and she said, "We were close once," and she doesn't allude to anything further. But like you said, that that was then, and they've moved on past it. And we've already, you know, we already touched on that. We. Yeah, more at the point that not at this point in the story, they didn't have the kind of relationship any longer. Yeah, Maureen and Swan Sanche were in attendance with the Amerlin mm -hmm. uh, when she had a foretelling, and since they were novices at that point in time, they weren't mentioned as being in the room. But the Amerlin and everyone else that was in that room was killed by the the uh, forces of the Dark One. We'll say. Mm -hmm. uh, and they escaped attention. So, you know, that's that's kind of when they made the agreement that they were going to go out and find the Dragon Reborn. Um, and, and that was what was driving the story. So it's it's a very integral part uh, of the storyline. And, and it just goes to show, you know, they, they moved on from their childhood dalliances and, uh, you know, took on a, a bigger um, responsibility with, with finding the Dragon Reborn and making sure that he could get to the last battle safely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
So I'm, I'm coming up on the, to me, where the lull starts. People always talk about the lull kind of in the middle of the story. Um, and I know, Rob, you don't feel like there really is a lull, but there is one. But the story does slow down like five, six, and seven for me. Yeah. Um, it, it's probably not really until we, and we're not spoiler-free around here. I'm going to apologize to everybody again. Now, listen to our show if you don't want spoilers. But probably until we establish the Black Tower mm-hmm. or anything really kind of starts to pick back up again for me. Yeah. Um, I am enjoying Book 5, though, for, for a couple of reasons. I do enjoy um, Rand and I always want to forget her name when I go to say it. The I-Eel. Oh, Avienda? Yes, I enjoy Rand and Avienda. Um, I enjoy some of the stuff Matt goes through in book five. You really get an insight on what's happened to him. Um, and other than that, every time in, in this book, every time Elaine or Nynaeve or Egwene, every time you get to one of their POV chapters, I just want to skip it. <laughs> I do not care that these women are somewhere in the middle of the countryside traveling with a circus that never interested me at all. And I, I I don't know. I hate that. I hate it. And I really, my least favorite forsaken is Mogadine. She she never held any interest for me. I got more into the idea of what she was and what she did during the war of the power than anything she does in the current series. Um, but we didn't really get deep into talking about that last time with you. I don't know if there's a lull for you or not. Like I said, I think you mentioned there really wasn't. But how you sort of feel about the middle of the series? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's more chapter-based and point-of-view-based um, lull as opposed to an entire book. I agree. There's There's some scenes with the three girls together and individually over the course of the series that are definitely drags there's some of the scenes with Perrin uh when he is trying to figure out how to free his wife from a certain imprisonment that she undergoes later in the series that drag a little bit um really it's not until later in the in the book series that i hit larger chunks that really drag for me uh but then it picks up pretty quickly, and there's enough other stuff interspersed where I don't lose, uh, you know, lose interest completely. Um, but yeah, there's and and there's certainly some chapters with Matt uh, that that drag along. But he's also he's also got some amazing chapters too. He's such a fun character, uh, and he's nowhere near as mopey as they have portrayed him on the show. Oh, he's not. Yeah, he it like book. From the third book on, you really get mad. Like that's the third book does a lot to develop him. Um, and the fourth, though, though the fourth really helps develop Perrin. Yeah. And, and and like I said, I do I I enjoy the the scenes in of Matt in this book in book five, and, and those are where those characters really kind of develop and start to shine and Matt sort of becomes the character he is through the rest of the series. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, he's, he, he's, he is a lot. He's always fun to read. Yeah. I, I get, I, I, I chuckle every time the, uh, again, I'm still stuck on the book I'm reading right now, but when he's getting the back rub, yep. you know, the scene I'm talking I'm about, about the scene you're talking about. can't help, but just I picture that, and I'm just laughing my ass off. Yeah. And Robert Jordan tries to be. Uh, there are no explicit sex things in these books. No. But whenever, when the hellhounds attack them, that's what I call them. Yeah. And Rand <laughs> goes and goes and finds Matt and he answers the door butt naked and there's a, a IL woman standing behind him and she's naked and you know what they've been doing. Right. You know what I mean? Like and then he ends up stuck with her because he doesn't understand IL customs. He ends up stuck with her for the rest of the book. Right. And it's just it's hilarious. Yeah. 
I just talked about the fact it's one of my least favorite books, but I did mention this Matt's chapters and Rand's chapters keep me into this book and everything else I could throw away. Yeah. No, and, and Matt's a great character because, you know, he's the epitome of the guy who's trying so hard to avoid work that he creates more work for himself. Uh, right. Every time he tries to dodge responsibility, he steps into another situation that just lumps it on him. And, of course, he's a responsible guy despite all his... Uh, you know, talk like he's just a fun loving, a fun loving guy. Uh, but yeah, he, you know, he likes to flirt with the ladies and sometimes yep. he's a little too effective and ends up getting, getting himself uh, in trouble, right? Into a relationship. So yeah. That's the one too. Uh, but it, because it, it, I love the fact that he knows the title of the woman he's destined to marry. So every woman he meets, he asks them if they know what that phrase means. Right. And if they say they've heard of it, he turns and runs. Yeah. Like that's the one woman on the planet he's trying to avoid is the one they told him he had to marry. Yeah. <clears throat> I, do, I, I, I love this series so much. Yeah. And I really am hoping that the, the, the TV series in the end does it enough justice. Right. But it is a lot. It's a big challenge. No, it's, it's a huge challenge. Yeah, there's 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 nothing else in the world they could have adapted that would have been this big of a challenge. They 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 swung for defenses with this one. For sure. So what else you got for us, Andrew? So I know this story, just kind of for my reference, I, I know this story covers uh it's fourteen books. Is that correct? Yeah. What is the time coverage of those 14 books? Like how much, what kind of time span are are we covering during that? I think it's only like two and a half years. Half years. Okay. Yes, about half years. Okay. That's what I was gathering was that it was fairly short. There's a span in there where uh, there is a character. This is something I can say without spoiling, but just to give you a frame of reference, there's a character who becomes pregnant in the ninth book. And when the series ends, she's still pregnant. Yeah. So from book nine to book 14, we're only covering like six or seven months. Okay. Uh, and it does cover like the, the world, the, the whole thing, the whole thing is based on a sick, uh, a circular time, right? Where we're like, mm-hmm. we're simultaneously way in the past and way in the future. Well, not is is a little more complex than that. The time we live in right now is these characters past at some point in these characters future, another age similar to ours will come around again. It's never the exact same event. So it's not, it's It's, not just purely circular time. It's a series of events. It's a, it's a ring. It's a a ring theory. It's yes. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, they, they call it the wheel of time for, for a reason. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're at a certain point on that wheel and as the wheel rotates, you know, you get to the point where it's so far away that everyone has even forgotten the legend of that time. And then that time comes back around again. So, uh, you know, the, the general idea is that, you know, the dark one, the, the big bad in this series really literally wants to escape his prison and break the wheel, uh, so that he can just dictate what reality is and it will never change. Okay. Um, so kind of like, you know, where I'm coming from on this is kind of looking at what y'all are saying and, and wondering what the Lord of the Rings series is going to look like. And one of the things Rob that you kind of mentioned earlier was, was interesting to me because it's one of my big concerns with the Lord of the Rings, because with Lord of the Rings, we're, we're taking, almost 6,000, well, actually a little over 6,000 years, and they're compressing that. Now, they've made a five-season commitment on that one. And I'm, I am concerned about it. That was kind of kind of echoed. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but more concerned about them focusing heavily on relationships, basically wasting time on things that really aren't important and just kind of rushing through why things are important and, and the lore and the things that that are going on in the grander picture. Yeah. I mean, the, the good news I think is that no matter what the experience is for a given show, uh, 
odds are that other show is going to have a completely different showrunner and you know ultimately what gets put on the screen is going to be based on who they are and how they approach the problem of of trying to compress all that information Mm -hmm. um you know so I, i you know that's the thing i don't think that a given show on Amazon doing great or badly is an indicator of how other shows on the network are going to do. Right. It's, it, you know, it's certainly a huge ask to, to take any of these mega complex stories and to boil that down to something that is going to please a fan that is, uh, you know, a reader of that particular, you know, mythos or whatever. Um, as well as entertain someone who doesn't have all that back knowledge. Cause you know, you, you have to treat everyone like they haven't seen it before. Right. And, and, and that's the thing. And that's, it's, it's almost a curse with stuff like this to know as much for y'all to know as much as you know about the wheel of time stuff for me to know as much as I do about the Tolkien stuff, because it's, and, and kind of, I, I guess on that same note, what, where I'm really at with the Tolkien stuff. And I kind of want to hear where y'all think this is at right now. I kind of already have an idea, but with the Tolkien stuff, I I see like really three options that we get something that's a great story that, that really honors Tolkien's material purely, or we get something that on its own is a great fantasy story, well-made, beautiful, but it maybe isn't quite as recognizable as Tolkien's story. Or we get something that just misses altogether, you know, and of course my hope is that we get something that's immediately recognizable as Tolkien, but I would, I would be very happy to see something that is on its own, a great story that at the very least drives people to the books that have never read them. Yeah. I mean, well, I will tell you this, that, uh, it shouldn't be it shouldn't have been super hard to get wheel of time down from 14 books to, to eight books worth of material. Cause all you have to do is take out all the extra references to every barmaid's bosom. And, uh, <laughs> every time they refer to loyal and his sausage like fingers, uh, you know, you take all that stuff out, you probably cut five books out of the series <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But, uh, you know, certainly with Tolkien, that's probably less likely the case. Um, David laughs cause he knows <laughs> yeah but it's just you know miss jordan's it, it but when you're reading the book all oh, that's fine yeah. you know it it, it he, he builds the same and I always that's like talking to me too though you know we've joked before Tolkien could spend six chapters describing the shape of a leaf on a tree now the way Tolkien used the english language is gorgeous i actually today I stumbled upon a video on YouTube of Tolkien reading the scene uh, from the Battle of... Yeah, reading the Rite of the Rohirrim. I saw that going around today. The Rite of the Rohirrim, right. And at, it, it, I'm not, I actually wasn't a huge fan of his, narr- of his narration, but the words he used and the way he described that scene, I got chill bumps. <laughs> you know, and, and Jordan can be very, but he, he's detailed in sort of lightening the moment. Like Rob said, it's the shape of the bosom or the size of Loyal's fingers. So yeah, there's a lot of extra stuff in there, but it adds to it while you're reading it. And we're not going to sit there and have that described to us every time we're watching the show, I guess. But I am, I remain curious what we're going to leave out because for much of the rest of the series, our characters aren't together very often. Like there's a lot that happens to each of them individually without the other's being there so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle a lot of that i'm I'm fearful for what i think they're probably going to have to decide to cut okay yeah kind of as as we wrap up i guess the one thing i really want to ask is because it, you, you know you both have you know a little bit different view of the season but there are a lot of things that you both dislike about it what mm-hmm. would it take in season two to to turn your opinion around on the show i gotta let rob go first because i gotta think about that one threw me under the cart man <laughs> well, well I'm, in, I'm sitting here doing the same thing you are like what no, I, I think it's easier for me i mean i i want to i want to dump all the ancillary stuff that really doesn't have any 
bearing on the on the core story that they need to tell dump all that stuff and just focus on getting back to telling a good story that is in the ballpark of of what the books are trying to tell there's a lot of very important things they need to address and figure out how they're going to develop some of these battles that take place between various characters and these characters of the forsaken because those are hugely important and it's doing those correctly will really add a lot of excitement to the show Uh, and then they're also going to have to figure out how to bridge some of these uh these major topics in a way that can kind of cut down on what is in the books where we're not losing a a ton of important stuff uh so if i if i see a little bit more attention to detail um in terms of the efficiency of the storytelling that is going to make the story flow a little bit better and i think it's going to keep it interesting and it's going to to make me feel like they're at least trying to respect the the underlying material it's you know the book series is we said it's 14 books it's uh it's like 4.4 million words and if a picture's worth a thousand words they only have to come up with like 4400 pictures to tell the to tell the story right so you should be able to do that in eight seasons yeah no for for me i don't know it's really hard for me because I understand why they keep pulling stuff forward and why they keep combining events and places that, you know, I wish they wouldn't because like we said, they're trying to fit all this information into no more than eight seasons. And if we're going to keep doing eight, 10 episodes a season, that's, I mean, so we're trying to do this in 64 episodes, but that being said, just get down to the centralized part of the story. This is where we're at. This is where we're going. Here's the major events that happen along the way. And let's focus on that. Don't worry about the stuff you you, 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 you got to tell six seasons from now yet. Just, it, you know, if, if it's possible to tell The Great Hunt and Dragon Reborn in one season, I don't think it is. If they try to do that, we're going to get more and more of the stuff we got in season one that people like Rob and I have a problem with. I understand you need to get there, but just focus on, like I said, the, the, the main crux of the story. you got to focus on Matt, Perrin, and Rand. These are the important things that happen to them. And just try to tell that story. you got to have the Forsaken involved. you got to have the Sean Chan involved. But they're all the antagonists of the series. They're going to be there by default. You know, we can get, uh, you know, there are some great scenes in the book when the Forsaken get together and have a little conference real quick. And you can get a lot of information that way in a five, ten minute scene. And let's establish who they are, why they are doing what they're doing. I don't know that I would get real deep into, into each of them's individual little plots because none of them have the same goal. And it adds a lot to the books, but I don't know how you're going to tell all that in this TV show. So for season two, I would just like to see a more focused story on, like I said, this is where we're starting from, which is a completely different place from where the book starts. So that already bothers me. But this is where we're going. Here's what happens along the way to help us get there. What are we going to do? And we get and just do that. Just kind of streamline the important parts of the story. And I'll be I'll have more confidence in this show. Cool. Which which I enjoyed. So I don't know why I'm sounding like I'm complaining. (laughs) (laughs) I've tainted you. No, and and I would say, I mean, they still have to focus on Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine, who we haven't even met yet, uh, because you know they there's basically two groups of uh, of uh, protagonists for the story. You've you've got the three male characters, and then those are the three female characters, and they both are working towards separate ends that then come together in the final book, uh, you know, to all impact. Oh, that oh. So, you know, you have to tell both halves of the story, but you know, I, I think I, I can see places where they can cut things out without losing a whole lot, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in the next couple of books, but you have to understand what those critical keystone plot points are and you have to build out from there. Uh, without getting too creative in terms of adding a bunch of extra stuff in. There's enough to tell without creating I want to ask you a question, Rob. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. There's a couple of characters that either didn't appear at all 
or had a shorter tenure or appeared at a different point and then disappeared. Two in particular on my mind are <clears throat> Tom Maryland mm-hmm. and Elias Machero. Yep. I wonder how far along this show before we see Elias, if we see him at all. Yeah. Do you think we'll get Tom back in season two? Yeah, I mean, one of the issues that they've got to deal with in the show is that they, and one of the reasons they didn't go to Camelin and went to Tar Valen instead is that they didn't want to introduce Elaine and then not have her show up again for maybe a season, maybe more. But she's in season two. That's confirmed. Which is which is why. So they're they're pushing her off till later point, so that when they have her, then they can use her regularly. You know, they didn't want to bring someone in and, and then potentially have them not show up again for eight episodes or nine episodes. Uh, Elias is going to be a big issue for that very reason. And I yeah. can see other ways that they can fill some of the gaps of of things that he teaches Perrin without actually using him. Uh, it's going to be more. There's going to have to be a lot more exposition. Because There's gonna have a lot of parent learning stuff by accident if we do it yeah. that way. Too. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that they're gonna go that way because it's easier. <sighs> I, I know. I need a lights, <laughs> man. Yeah. Look, there's there's a period where you know Tom disappears and and it's a couple books before he comes back. So. But we, but that's that's my question. Yeah. To the point you just made, they didn't want to introduce a character that you don't see him again for a long time. Well, we, they did introduce Tom. It was only for a couple episodes. We introduced him. And oh, by the way, he's much more important than what you got in season one. He spends a lot of time with Matt and Rand in the first book. Yeah. A lot. And really takes Matt under his wing. Yeah. And Matt stays there for a lot of the time when Tom's around. But we, we see him for a minute in the second book. Do we see him in the second book? No, third book. Third book. We see him again in the third book, and he's important to the fourth and the fifth, which the stuff he's involved in the fifth is the stuff I don't like about the fifth book. But he's still there. But then, like you say, yeah, he disappears again and comes back. So I want to know how they're going to play that out. Like, if we bring him back in season two and then just sort of write him into the moments that he's not in in the books to keep him in the show for the for the whole for the series, his whole run. Like, it seems to me like that's probably what they'll do. I agree. Which I'm okay with. I love the character, and I actually really liked the way the actor depicted him. I thought it was well done. But I'm going to be interested to see how they handle some of these characters who weren't introduced the way we expected in season one or not at all. I'm really curious if we ever get Elias in this show, and I think we need him. I really do. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, they're going to have an ongoing issue with characters that are around and then disappear for a long time and then come back and are kind of integral to the story. Cause Tam, mm-hmm. you know, he's in book one and then he's gone for a while until four. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they address that. Cool. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's an interesting time. I, I mean, this is really one of the first, you know, major epic, fantasy series to follow up game of thrones and and it'll be interesting to see how that goes you've got others coming down the pipe with uh lord of the rings uh netflix is working on a chronicles of narnia series and we're we're also we're just seeing a lot of the great sci-fi and fantasy books being pulled off the shelf and adapted and a lot of these have always been you know kind of presumed to be unadaptable i mean that's yeah. that's dune was always presumed to be an unadaptable uh, book and, and we 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 got a Dune movie that's absolutely insane and it is Dune come to life and you know I, I hope this series can can find its way and I, and I hope that it it you know that that begins to become the thing because I don't want to I love these these great classic pieces of fantasy and sci-fi literature I want to see more of them adapted I don't want to see them put back on the shelf because it doesn't work I, I feel the same way I want to see them adapted but I want to see them adapted well. And uh, that's, you know, for, for this particular series, it's, it's still up in the air for me how well it's going to be adapted. Yeah. Even, even the weaving of the one power, I like the way that they're too. playing it, but they have to be able to do it so much faster in order to achieve what they need to achieve to kind of keep in, in line with the books. Right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thank you, too, for both uh, 
talking about that. And uh, sorry, I didn't have more to contribute there, but it was uh, really interesting listening to the conversation. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to give uh, Rob, I want to give you a chance to tell everybody where to find you and your podcast. Now, that, especially now, I'm glad your podcast is back, man. And, uh, you know, last time you were here, you, you hadn't cranked it back up yet. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm working to working to get it back going full steam again. Uh, I had about a year where due to, due to some leg injury things and some other personal stuff that I was dealing with, I uh, just was not podcasting. Um, uh, went through my little dark period there and came out the backside a little bit stronger. So yeah, uh, you can find me and, uh, and Andrew, both our podcasts as part of the red five network, which is definitely a great group of podcasts. So you can check any of them out at red five network.com. But if you're looking for me specifically, uh, certainly on any podcatcher, uh, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, uh, you can find us at our website at jtapodcast.com. You can reach us at uh, jtapodcast at gmail.com via email and on socials, uh, typically on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then there's also a Pinterest account that uh, we post some photos specific to the episodes on. Uh, those are all at JTA Podcast. So I really appreciate you having me on, Andrew. Looking mega forward to uh, seeing you in person yeah. at Scare on this summer yeah looking forward to that it's gonna be a great time all right uh daniel what about you where can people find you online i am dan c peeps on twitter perfect and you can find me running the twitter account for this show at sci underscore fictionary you can find me running our star wars podcast at coruscant radio underground and you can drop us a line at the sciencefictionary at gmail.com. And as Rob already mentioned, you can find us as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at Red 5 Network on Twitter. And until next time, may the force be with you.